Hello and welcome to JG Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. As always, I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain with JG Ministries. I'm glad to have you with us. Be sure to follow this podcast and you will receive notifications every time there's a new podcast. We are studying the book of Luke and we have finished chapter 6. So now we're going to move right in and unpack chapter 7. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to chapter 7. And let's begin with verse 1. Let's get into it. Now last time when we ended chapter 6, we had a discussion of judging others. And now here in chapter 7, we're going to begin by seeing yet another miracle of Jesus by healing a centurion's servant. This incident marks a pivotal point in the progress of the word of the Lord from its original Jewish context to the Gentile world. The Jews' appreciation of a pious Gentile, the centurion, is an important theme in Luke, a book written partly to show the compatibility of early Christianity with Judaism. And at the same time, Jesus compares the Gentiles' faith more than favorably with that of the Jews, which serves Luke's desire to justify the prominence of Gentiles in the church. This incident is paralleled by the conversion of Cornelius in the book of chapters, chapter 10, or I, excuse me, in the book of Acts, chapter 10, which itself marks a historic transition from a purely Jewish church to one including Gentiles. Luke is careful to speak well of the centurion and his religious concern. And note, too, the progression of faith in Luke, from Mary to the four Jewish men who brought the paralyzed man to uh, to Jesus. So let's turn to our Bibles, to verse 1 of chapter 7, and let's begin to read. Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, The centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. Now I want to take a look at verses 1 through 3 collectively. The introductory words provide more than just a transition from the preceding sermon. 
they suggest another step in the mission that Jesus came to fulfill. At the conclusion of his discourse, Jesus left the multitude and entered Capernaum. And there he was besieged by the elders of the Jews who had come to ask help for a Gentile centurion's servant. So on behalf of the centurion's seriously ill servant, the centurion, who was probably a commander of Jewish soldiers rather than the Roman ones, sent these leaders of the community to Jesus. And it seems that this centurion was especially kind to the Jewish people, even going as far as to build a synagogue for them. And like all the other centurions in the New Testament, he, present, he is presented in a good light. Now Luke shows great interest in the character and the importance of this centurion, more so than Matthew did in his gospel. <clears throat> and it's rather unusual for a master to be so kindly disposed toward a slave as this centurion was. When the servant took sick, the centurion asked the elders of the Jews to implore Jesus to heal this man. This Roman officer is the only one who sought blessing from Jesus for a servant, as far as we know. And so now this is taking us into verses 4, or verses four but I'm going to look at verses 4 through 7 here. Because it is a strange position for the elders of the people to be in. Now, they did not believe in Jesus, yet their friendship for the centurion forced them to go to Jesus in a time in need. And it's here in verse 4 that we learn why the village elders were willing to intercede for this centurion. They were genuinely indebted to him for his generosity to them. They said concerning the centurion that he was worthy. But when the centurion met Jesus, the centurion says, I am not worthy, meaning I am not important enough. And according to Matthew, the centurion went directly to Jesus. Now here in Luke, we see that it says he sent the elders. And both of these are correct because first he sent the elders and then he himself went out to Jesus. Now, Luke apparently wished to stress the humility of this man, the centurion, and possibly his own concern, even a second thought perhaps, that Jesus could have been criticized for entering a Gentile's house. Now, the humility and the faith of the centurion is remarkable. He didn't consider himself worthy for Jesus to enter his house. And neither did he consider himself worthy to come to Jesus in person. But he had faith to believe that Jesus could heal without being bodily or physically present. Just a word from Jesus would drive out the sickness. So in verse 8, we see that the focal point of this section is the centurion's concept of Jesus' authority. He compares Jesus' relationship to God with his own relationship to his superiors. The position of responsibility implies authority to command others. The centurion went on to explain that 
he knew something about authority. He had considerable experience in this realm. He himself was under the authority of the Roman government, and he was responsible to carry out its orders. Now, in addition, he had soldiers under him. He was a commander who were instantly obedient to the orders that were given them by him. And he recognized that Jesus had that same kind of authority over diseases, kind of like the Roman government had over him and over his subordinates. Therefore, the centurion has faith that Jesus's authoritative word will accomplish this healing of his servant. And so in verses 9 to 10, it's no wonder that Jesus marveled at the faith of this Gentile centurion, because no one in Israel had made such a bold confession of Jesus's absolute authority like this centurion did. Such great faith could never go unrewarded. And when they got back to the centurion's house, they found out indeed that the servant was completely well. Now, Jesus is not criticizing the faith he has found among the Jews, but rather says that not even in Israel has he found such faith as in this centurion. You see, the Jews would be expected to have faith considering their possession of God's revelation in their scriptures. But not all the Israelites accepted this good news. Their failure to respond to their privileges was ending in Jesus's day, and the response of the centurion stood out in a welcome contrast. And this is one of the two times in the Gospels when we read that Jesus marveled. He marveled at the faith of this Gentile centurion, and he marveled at the unbelief of Israel that we find in the book of Mark. Okay, so let's go back to our scripture here. We're going to read about the raising of the widow's son, beginning with verse 11. Now it happened the day after that, uh, a day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then the fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. Jesus is now about to perform the ultimate kind of miracle that will certify him as the Messiah. And this is going to be reported to John the Baptist, that the dead are raised. Now, Luke also wants his readers to understand that while John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, it is Jesus himself who is the great prophet of the end time. 
This miracle bears significant resemblance, as we shall note, to the one performed by Elijah. Now, Luke has already included a reference to the widow to whom Elijah ministered. So let's take a look at verses 11 to 13. First of all, Nain was a little town southwest of Capernaum. And Nain laid a few miles to the southeast of Jesus' hometown, which was Nazareth. And take note that Luke typically does this, but he notes the large crowd. And as Jesus approached, he sees a funeral procession that's leaving the city. The funeral procession has probably already gone through the town, and now it's on its way to the place of, of burial, which customarily was outside of the town. And this funeral was for the only son of a widow. The deceased was the only son of his mother, the scripture says. The Lord had compassion on the bereft mother. The compassion of Jesus goes out to this woman. As a widow without a man in her family, she would probably have become destitute. As we know from Old Testament customs and the time period of the times, And without a man, she would have been unable in that society to earn a living. So it would have been important for her to have a man in her life. And so our Lord's words are deeply human. He tells her, you know, don't weep, don't cry. But only Jesus could say that and at the same time remove the cause of the tears. And in verses 14 and 15, Jesus is touching the frame of the casket, if you will, on which the body was being carried, apparently maybe to stop the procession. But Jesus here risked ritual defilement by touching the coffin, because in the Old Testament, to touch something that was associated with dead bodies or to touch the dead this was considered to make one unclean. And you'd had to have gone through the ceremonial ritual to cleanse yourself from this uncleanliness. But Jesus then did what would seem useless, especially to us. He spoke to a dead person. And Jesus ordered this young man to arise. And immediately, and let me repeat that, immediately, life returned to the corpse. And this young lad, he sat up. Thus the, the one, Jesus, who is Lord over death, as well as over any kind of disease, restored this boy to his mother. That's how powerful our Lord and Savior and Creator is. And when the young man returned to life, Jesus gave him back to his mother. These are words that are similar to those that we read in 1 Kings chapter 17 regarding Elijah and the widow. Now, in verses 16 and 17, the scripture continues, Fear seized the people. They had witnessed a mighty miracle. This dead person was raised back to life. 
And once more, Luke records the response of the people. He notes that they praised God. They believed the Lord Jesus was a great prophet sent by God. They recognized in Jesus a prophet and echoes an Old Testament expression, God has come to help his people. But when they said God has visited his people, they probably did not understand that Jesus himself was God or is God. And rather, they felt that the miracle was evidence that God was working in their midst in an impersonal sort of way. Their report of the miracle spread throughout all the surrounding region, the scripture says. And once again, Luke emphasizes the spread of the news about Jesus. And Dr. Luke, if you will, since he was a physician, his casebook records, the rest, restoration of, uh, by Jesus of three only children, the widow's son, Jairus' daughter, and then, of course, the child that was possessed by demons. And with that, I'm going to end for today since we're running out of time. But next time, we'll pick this up here with verse 18, where we get into Jesus and John the Baptist. The Son of Man is going to reassure his forerunner. So until next time, God bless you, and keep living Christian strong.